My text this evening is taken from the end of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. This morning we thought about Jesus um, being manifested, didn't we, to the wise men who came, they fell down, you remember, and they worshipped him, didn't they? And this evening we're returning to this lovely account in the second chapter of Luke. And it's another manifestation, if you like, isn't it? Of Christ now as a 12-year-old to the scholars in Jerusalem. Shall we pray? Lord, as we come again to your word, Oh, manifest yourself to us. May we be amazed, even this evening, uh, by the Son of God. May we never lose that wonder. Lord, go before us now, we pray, as we open these words in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an amazing account. Um, You know, most of you will be aware of the film Home Alone. Sorry to bring Christmas back. Uh, I watch it most Christmases uh, with my family. And the, the, the famous one, the one I enjoy anyway, is the one where he's left in New York. You know the one? And he gets his father's credit card. And he goes to the best hotel. And he has a lot of fun. And this idea of a child being left somewhere... It's something that recurs in our literature, in our films. You think of Peter Pan. Uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. Um, Tom Sawyer. Uh, There are darker examples too, like Lord of the Flies or Empire of the Sun. We're fascinated by this idea of the child being left somewhere. But the case we read of here in Luke 2 is not a case... It's, it's not preached on very often, I don't know if you find that, but it's not a case of a naughty, misbehaving child uh, in Jerusalem. No. This is a vivid account of Christ, probably from Mary's own memory, the mother of Christ, who probably spoke to Luke later in life. We are told in our text that he increased in, or grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favour with God and man. Lovely words, very concise. And yet they summarise, don't they? So first of all, as we consider this idea of growing, especially with the new year, uh, we're told in this chapter that Christ grew in stature. Nothing's in the Bible by accident. He grew in stature, firstly. Secondly, he grew in wisdom. In wisdom. And finally, he grew in favour with God and man. So that's our map for this evening. Stature, wisdom and favour. You say to me, yes, but what's all this got to do with me? What's it got to do with me? This account of a child lost in the holy city. Well, God, as we heard this morning, calls us to believe in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, doesn't he? But Christian, 
He also calls us to follow His example in the way that we live. Will this be a year of growth for you in the right way? (laughs) Oh, we pray that the Lord would come down and revive, don't we, and grow the church. And yet, the Lord uses His children. Revival, as I said in the prayer, starts in the church. And personal Christian growth is so important. It's part of what we call our sanctification. Uh, As Christians, we are growing with the help of that sanctifying Spirit of Christ, growing in grace. While Christ was unique, He was also, brothers and sisters, our pattern. Don't forget that, okay? Just because we're evangelicals, we mustn't forget the pattern of our lovely Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You remember that carol, and through all his wondrous childhood. Do you remember? He would honour and obey, love and watch the lowly mother in whose gentle arms he lay. And this next bit, for he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He grew. So first of all, growing in stature. Uh, Tall, yeah? About a month ago, I discovered my grandfather's diaries from the 1950s. I can see some of you from that era here. Uh, A good era, I'm sure. And he must have been a teenager then, still in school. And... It's fascinating reading for a grandson when you come across your grandfather's diary because you can't imagine them ever being young, can you? Uh, these, these figures in your life. And he talks about going to the baths instead of the swimming pool. He talks about the Kamanvagani, going to view and buy his harp, going to the pictures with Vernon. Um, <laughs> then on Sundays, Capel Truirdiv, church all day, written every week, church all day, church all day, Uh, a a lovely thing. And a little picture fell out of him as a teenager, and it's, oh dear, it can be quite something, seeing your tadki, as I called him, as a young man. Luke has given us a little snapshot here, just like that little picture falling out of my grandfather's diary, But why does Luke choose this? Of all the events, he lived a full life, those 30 years. Why does he choose this? Well, it's because this story has special significance. Special significance. After announcing the birth, let's go to the text, Luke 2. Uh, You'll remember uh, he is presented Uh, in public ministry soon, Luke shows us that while Jesus was a little boy, and when we look at these verses, what comes to your mind from the Old Testament? Christ in the temple, Mary's song has just been, Samuel, Samuel. The pattern here in this chapter, hauntingly beautiful, isn't it? We've had a song by the mother, Now Luke is going to show us the boy in the temple, yeah? Fulfilling what Samuel was just a shadow of. Just a shadow. 
Just like this morning, we thought about Nebuchadnezzar bowing to Daniel with the gifts, almost like a dress rehearsal. Samuel is the dress rehearsal, if you like, of this lovely event. So, in our passage starts in verse 39 there. If you've got your Bibles, follow me now. Uh, we, we learn that all things according to the law of God, uh, after these things had been accomplished. That refers to the sacrifices, circumcision, and the paying of the ransom, or the, the fee of redemption, which we'll go to in another sermon. It's interesting, this. And our event, though, is occurring after these very specific legal events. We're not in Jerusalem. Notice there, at the end of verse 39, we're now in Nazareth. That, think of it like the north is to London, okay? (laughs) Or Wales is to London. We're back in the back of beyond, in that nobody city, in the middle of nowhere that we discussed when thinking of Mary. And then verse 40 gives us that summary of Christ's childhood in one verse, doesn't it? Have you noticed? It's similar to our text. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I want you tonight to think of verse 40 there. And verse 52, like bookends, okay? They're like two bookends. And they're consistent in the way that they describe Jesus Christ growing. Jesus Christ growing. He grew. The child grew. And then later in 52, he grew in stature. We know that when God the Son came... I know this is obvious, but we need to keep remembering it. He took on a human body. So the baby Jesus would have uh, woken up like Seth in the night, hungry. They would have had to clean him and carry him and wash him and feed him. And Joseph Joseph would have taken him on his shoulder I'm being reverent here, but it's a lovely image, nevertheless, burping him. This may all seem obvious, but the fact that he had a body was important. Luke is repeating it twice. He then learned to crawl, and then he finally grew in stature. The Bible tells us later on that he grew tired and hungry. We mustn't think of him like Superman. Or Hercules, no. And then ultimately, as 1 Peter 2, verse 24 reminds us, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus came to save us in the body. Remember that. But what does this text come with me now to Nazareth? That back and beyond, there's this little boy here, and he's growing naturally, and yet we're told in the text that they're moving now, they're on their way again, they moved a lot, didn't they, bless them, walking here and there, they're moving to Jerusalem, they're journeying to Jerusalem, now you'll all be familiar with Cardiff on Rugby Day, 
thousands of people flock to that great temple, <laughs> the Millennium Stadium. It's heaving. Think of Jerusalem like that. Can you picture it in your mind? 200,000 people gathering in a place which usually housed 25,000. Then you had the hundreds and thousands of sheep bleating. Can you hear them? Uh, all everywhere. The mess, the smell. It would have been quite something. The sound of coins and the exchange people. But it was springtime, so the journey would have been pleasant down from Nazareth. Oh, it would have been, you know, we're told in verse 41 that Mary and Joseph would go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They were good Jews. What's Passover? Do you remember? There's a lot of sheep in Luke 2. <laughs> You remember that Passover is an important day for the Judeans because they're remembering how death passed them by. Do you remember the blood on the lintel and I always mix them up on the door? And when the angel of death saw blood, the Jews lived. The Jews lived. They were covered. Sheep come up again and again, don't they, here? There were shepherds abiding in the fields, you remember them? Poor souls with the dead-end jobs looking after the flocks that were for the Passover sacrifices, probably. And then in verse 42, we're seeing the Lamb, the Lamb of God. This might be strange to you, this, this, this phrase which has been overused in the 21st century, by those who do not believe it, but the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. Here he is, the Lamb, the great sacrifice himself is in the capital. And he's growing. And there's one destination, isn't there? And at 13, he's growing. A year later from this chapter, he would have had his bar mitzvah, his coming-of-age ceremony. And we know that parents would take their children to Jerusalem in their 12th year to see everything that was going on. Parents, let's come back to Wales now. Are you treating your children... I've got to be careful here now. Are you treating your children like little heathen? Yes, they're sinners. They need a saviour. But notice how Mary and Joseph are taking their child to the Passover. They're bringing him up. We're told in Scripture that Joseph was dikaios. He was righteous. And his family life was healthy. What do you do on a Sunday morning? Are you concerned about coming to church? Or are you more concerned with getting to football practice? I'm not having a go. There's just something for us to think about. What are we learning so far? Luke is not belittling the physical presence of Christ here. The human body and its design and origin, as Hendrickson writes, is a divine masterpiece. Christ grew in stature naturally. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's a practical application for us here. Are we looking after our bodies do we view them as temple of the Holy Spirit if we're Christians? 
Verse 52 is quite clear then that Jesus had a body, a body. But the verse goes on, doesn't it? He not only grew in stature, but he grew in wisdom, wisdom. Jesus had a human mind as well as a human body. Look back at verse 40. Luke tells us that this process, it's a process here, of becoming filled with wisdom was gradual, okay? Uh, He wasn't born with all the knowledge, as it were. In verse 46, we're, we're, we're going on now. We're in the courts, in the temple. Notice verse 46, just quickly. He's, he's listening to them, asking them questions. What is meant by wisdom here in the passage? Well, it definitely includes knowledge, but it's more than that. It, it implies the ability to use that knowledge, yeah? You know, knowing something is not enough. Knowing about Jesus is not enough tonight, friends. You know, the atheist knows about Christ. You must taste him, see him, that he is good. But it's more than that. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent. It implies the ability to use this knowledge to the best advantage. Do you remember Job 28? Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Or James, do you remember? The wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, and so forth. He had a human mind, subject to the same laws of perception, memory, logic, as you and I. But what was special about him then? If he was... If he had a body like me, a mind like me, what was special about him? He did all this without sin. And hallelujah that he was without sin. He was never lazy. He worked hard intellectually. He memorized. But then you turn to me and tell me, well, wasn't there times when he knew everything? Surely he was omniscient. That means knowing everything. With respect to his divine nature, Jesus knew all things. But in his human nature, he did not. Ah, you tell me, but the Gospels clearly state that there were times that he had supernatural knowledge. Yes, you're right. Jesus knew these things because God the Father revealed them by God the Holy Spirit. He was learning the will of God by both general and and special revelation. The Bible says, doesn't it, in our text, that he increased in wisdom. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And in Mark 5, it's very clear in that passage that there were things he did not know. But let's move on. He's grown in stature. He's grown in wisdom here. But he's also, this is the important one now. Well, they're all important, but this is where we're heading. He was growing in favor with God and man. Again, think of those bookends. Verse 40, verse 52, if you've got your Bibles. Talks about growing in favor. You see this passage 
isn't about the drama of Mary and Joseph looking for home alone character in Jerusalem. Verse 43 tells us, doesn't it, what this is about. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. He stayed behind. There are, what's going on here? There are places as Christians that are special to us, aren't there? Perhaps it's a church, a place where you first saw the sight, as it were, and the burden of my sin rolled away. Maybe that's special to you. Maybe it's that place where you had sweet and close fellowship with God. Those sacred places in the right sense of the word. It's good to return to these places or pieces of music or scripture. It's not because they're magic, but because they bring to mind that sweet fellowship with God. For Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, don't write off your children, okay? I know I'll get, even as a 12-year-old, this was the place that satisfied his soul. He wanted to learn as much as he could. He wanted to stay in the Father's presence. According to Riken, he wanted to stay in his Father's presence, lingering at the place where his heart could echo the joy he had always experienced as the eternal and pre-existent Son. So I want you, let's imagine the scene then. A little bit like here, we've got kind of porches, haven't we? In the temple. And in Passover, all the theologians would gather in the porches, the youngsters at their feet, drinking in their words, learning. Who's that over there? Could be Nicodemus, possibly. Saul, who knows? Somebody's going to correct me later. But there's a carpenter's son in their midst. And he's basking in theological talk as a 12-year-old. He's enjoying himself. You see, this boy was passionate about the Bible. And most of all, he knew God. My word, it showed, didn't it? We're told there in this passage that when the parents come to the porches and they see their boy amongst the rabbis, that they were astonished. Are you enjoying yourself today in church? <laughs> That's unfair of me to ask, isn't it? Are you happy to be here? Because it shows, you know, you can tell. And people can usually tell where your heart is from your face. I, we love the place, O oh God. Can you say this? Where in thine honour dwells, the joy of thine abode, all earthly joy excels. We love the house of prayer, wherein thy servants meet. Why? And thou, O oh Lord, art there, thy chosen flock to greet. Have you come to meet God today? I pray you have. Not just to hear this Welshman, <laughs> it's really tempting to ascribe this knowledge and this understanding to Jesus because he was really special. And yes, he was. He was unique. 
But the point of verse 40 and 52 is to show that he was also growing in his relationship with God in his human nature. The parents don't get it, do they? Have you noticed? <laughs> the parents, I'm still sure poor Mary and Joseph were still trying to fathom who Jesus was. I know they knew, but there was so much they didn't know, isn't it? You can understand. She says, doesn't she, in verse 48, why have you done this to us, Jesus? Jesus answers them with two questions, it looks like it, doesn't it, there, uh, after verse 48. The better translation is, in my father's house, that's where I was and had to or must be. Didn't you know that? That's the... I think, <laughs> better translation. Christ is surprised here. Notice the contrast there. In, in, when Mary speaks, look at the verse closely. Um, verse 48. Look, your, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And then what do you notice there in Christ's words? It's in red if you've got one of those Bible I must be about my, my father's business. You see, he was well aware already who he was. He may not have known everything intellectually, but he was well aware, and this is the first time Christ speaks, that he was the Son of God. Later on in Luke 22, verse 70, not far from the porches, maybe a very short distance, Jesus would be back for you and for me. And then the Sanhedrin, perhaps similar to those teachers in the porches, would ask him, look, are you then the Son of God? Do you remember what he said? You rightly say that I am. And they, these are poignant words, and they said, what further testimony do we need? They're talking, of course, that he's blaspheming, but they're speaking the truth here. What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. This is the Son of God. Is, he, is that how he is to you tonight? What excuse do you have, friends, tonight? Oh, I always thought Jesus was a man, a guru, a good example. No, my friends, this is the Son of God. The Son of God. Not a Son of God. The Son of God. Oh, bow to Him. Bow to Him even today. But the verse carries on. Notice he says, I must be here. Verse 49, he must be there. The word must here is so poignant. He realizes God's eternal decree and he is already obedient. Luke emphasizes this throughout his gospel. Have you noticed? It's, it's repeated, Jesus must preach. He must suffer. 
His words, they come again and again. He must go his way. He must, like we heard last week, stay at the house of Zacchaeus. Hallelujah, isn't it? He must stay at the, uh, uh, at the home there. He must be delivered up. He must be crucified. He must rise again and suffer these things. He must, like we sang this morning, enter his glory. He was right where he was supposed to be. Right where he was supposed to be. The boy Jesus was growing in his relationship with God. But you can't grow if you're not in a relationship with God. Make sure that you're in a relationship. I say that reverently with God. I have come down, said Jesus in John 6, from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. One commentator says it wonderfully. He was always minding his father's business. You see, for God so loved the world. You know the rest. That he gave us his son. His son. Oh, my friends. What can we take from this chapter as some closing thoughts? Look at verse 51 there. You see the Son of God <laughs> being sub submissive then to his parents. Isn't that lovely? Children, there's some of you here. Do you obey your mother and father? I'm serious now. Don't think this is trivial. We, we all struggle to do what we're told. But do you honor them? What about you who are married? You who are working? church members, do you actually listen to your pastor and the elders or do you always know best? That's not what we see with Jesus here. That spirit of submission. All of this leads to our submission to God. My friends, are you, my question to you as we start 2023, are you growing in your relationship with God? with God. God calls us to believe in Jesus Christ alone, right? There's no other name whereby you must be saved. No other name. But he calls us to grow like Jesus did. Grow in stature, yes. Take care of your bodies. Bodily exercise profiteth a little. They are given by God. They are temple if we're Christians. Grow in wisdom, by all means. Learn your verses. Read your books. Learn your Greek if you want to. Learn what you can whilst you still can. But most of all, grow in favor with God and men. Oh, my friends, what will 2023 look like for you? Will you be Christ-like in your Christianity? And may we always lift him up. Like I said earlier, may we tell others about this boy who later in this gospel would go to a cross for you and for me. He died on the tree. Is he your saviour tonight? And Christian, are you like Jesus? Look at yourself in the mirror this year. Are you like him? 
And may his spirit help us to be just like him. For his name's sake. Amen. Should we just pray? Lord, thank you for this wonderful account of your dear son. Lord, we, we heard this morning about coming to him. And tonight we've learned a little of what it is like to be like him. And yet he was so unique. Oh God, come amongst us. May we be Christ-like in all that we say and do. We ask it in his name. Amen. We conclude our time together today by singing O oh, What Matchless Condescension. Uh, hymn number 110, if you're listening at home. The eternal God displays, claiming our supreme attention to his boundless works and ways. His own glory he reveals in gospel days in the person. Is he your saviour tonight? In the person of the saviour, all his majesty is seen. No man comes to the Father but through him. Let's sing together.
God. May we praise and bless him all this week. May we never forget him. May we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.